Jardim Sonoro. Audio Garden. Jardim Musical. Jardim Audio. Jardino del Audio. Presencing Instituto. Gaia. Stepping into the decade of transformation. S'engager dans la décennie de la transformation. Entrando na década de transformação. Melanie Goodchild, thank you so much for joining us, not only uh, at the forum here, but also for uh, the, the practice uh, session uh, in this segment. And um, you uh, wrote a very uh, influential uh, uh, piece um, uh, called Relational Systems Thinking that was published in uh, earlier this year in the uh, inaugural Journal of Awareness-Based Systems Change. And uh, in that inaugural uh, you know, issue, um, uh, UP's Relational Systems Thinking is the, the, the one that's by far the most um, widely circulated and read. And um, what, um, what we are so uh, grateful for, Melanie, is that um, uh, in, in this session here, you will really move from relational systems thinking to that you lay out so beautifully in that piece to the practice part of it, to how we can learn uh, or relearn how to be in relationship uh, with the land and how we can be in relationship with uh, the living context and ecosystems that, um, uh, that we are in. So um, with that, uh, I would like to uh, maybe uh, kick it off with uh, inviting you to share just a little bit about your own uh, uh, context, your own personal context, kind of that brought you uh, into this line of work. Miigwechado. So bojo and dinner wamaganaduk. That's greetings to all of my relatives. Anishinaabe kwe anda. I'm Anishinaabe, also known as, uh, you know, English as Ojibwe or Chippewa, Salto. Wabshige o gichidakwe zanang indishnikaz, waba anang indishnikaz. Those are my spirit names, what I'm known in the spirit world in Ojibwe. Muzendo dem, I'm Moose Clan, and I'm here in the traditional territories near Niagara Falls, Ontario, of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy and the Three Fires Confederacy. The Three Fires are the Potawatomi, Odawa, and Anishinaabe. And I'm a visitor to this territory. So when I introduce myself uh, in Anishinaabe, Mawin, I'm introducing myself to Indira Duk, all of my relatives here, and that I am grateful to be, to be visiting this territory. And for me, the, you know, the, the homelands where I come from, up in northern Ontario, the connection I have to the land, that's, I think, really what prompted me to, when I was studying. I, I'm a PhD candidate in social and ecological sustainability, but the, the stuff I was reading, the material, the, the literature, the theories, the methodologies that introduced me to something called systems thinking, resilience theory, sustainability, and the, the concept overall of uh, complexity, it had an anthropocentric bias there was a, a lot of focus on humans and, you know, even just saving Mother Earth for, for humans and the use of humans. And so relational systems thinking was informed by the teachings here of the Haudenosaunee, the Mohawk elders that spent time with me and Tuscarora elders. What the 
article does is it introduces people to the two-world wampum belt and the concept of many nations sharing a river of life together. And I think that's the, the really relevant part now of that is what Uncle Dan Longboat in the article talks about. The river of life herself is in danger. That's Mother Earth. And that it behooves us to learn from each other, to spend time together. But it's also about a teaching that we have. And, and I've shared this you know, before in, in conversations I've had around the separation of human beings, the two-legged ones from the rest of creation, which came out through Western theory. And that separation doesn't exist. And that's really reflected in our language, Anishinaabemowin. So when I asked an elder, a language speaker once, you know, I don't ever hear our elders speak about the environment or nature or wilderness. He said, no, we say gedakimanan. And that's our connection on our relationship to land and all of creation. It's everything in creation. The sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the deserts, the waters, the medicine plants, the animals, all of the, those beings that are, are we would say, non-human. And Gedakimanan is about understanding that relationship, that it exists throughout creation, and understanding our own role and responsibility as a part of that, you know, you might say, um, a system. I mean, really, that's what that is. And so this connection is the primary shaper of Anishinaabe culture. So that's what prompted me to, to write that article and to explore the disconnect we have from the land uh, as humanity and reconnecting to the land. Thank you, Melanie. And uh, when we talked um, a few days ago, um, you were mentioning uh, the importance of threshold, right? When, when it comes to really moving from theory to practice, that uh, there is a significant threshold and the threshold is a demarcation be you know uh, between um you know the practice itself and the before right and you talked a lot about the before so that you know as the result of that conversation you and i thought about the practice as something pre during and post right But your emphasis really was on the pre. That's kind of that's kind of where the first main leverage point is. Do you want to talk a little bit uh, the the threshold and the pre? So what, why does it matter so much? Before we go into a specific example, yeah, I think you know what happens in our contemporary society is we're very focused on outcomes and outputs, and for Anishinaabe. Gedakimanan and for Anishinaabe Gekundasuan, which is our original ways of, of knowing, that knowing came from a direct relationship with the land, which means being on the land. And I think the, the idea of, you know, the land being restorative and healing in and of itself, just, you know, we know how good we feel when we walk in nature, we go for a hike, when we, you know, stop and and experience sitting under a tree and, and just really taking our time. And I think that concept of threshold is important because if you're going to elevate that experience, which you can, anyone can elevate an experience to being ceremonial, to being a ceremonial practice by intention, by focus, petitioning potentially the spirits are you asking for something and so for us we have a number of different types of ceremonies depending on what we're seeking if we're seeking 
information, visions, if we're seeking guidance from our ancestors. And all of those require uh, preparation that is just as important as the experience itself and then what happens after as a result. Those, you know, you might call them outputs. And the preparation for me, I remember one of our ceremonies as Anishinaabe is fasting. And when I was young, <clears throat> my stepfather, who's a, a hereditary healer, medicine man in Shnabe from up in uh, Treaty 3, he would tell me how to prepare for my fast. And so our fasting ceremony and a lot of different wisdom traditions have fasting ceremonies. It takes place out on the land. You fast for four days and four nights. You stay in your fasting lodge. You maintain an ishko day, a fire. You look after that. You bring your medicine bundle. But before you do all of that, you prepare. And it included for me as a young person, I think I was 19, I remember this happening. He said, you, you don't talk to people. You really start to limit your contact with other folks. You start to limit some of your food intake, caffeine for sure, if you're drinking coffee, to prepare your body. Because you need to prepare yourself spiritually physically, emotionally, and mentally. Fasting is not just physical, like it certainly is. You might get hungry, might be hot out there, it might be raining, mosquitoes for sure up north. All of those, those things are part of the experience and so you prepare yourself. And I find with a lot of our contemporary practices, people just show up. You know, you go from Zoom call to Zoom call or you go from meeting to meeting. You really need to take time and crossing the threshold. There's a, a teaching uh, from tea culture in Japan at the tea houses. They have they call it wiping off the dust of the world. And, you know, so you might experience this actually in restaurants where, you know, you're given a hot towel. And for me to elevate a daily practice to ceremony could be, as um, accessible and simple and yet quite profound to take a hot tea towel, soak it in, in hot water, wipe your hands, wipe your face and wipe away the dust of the world. And we do that in a smudging ceremony. Uh, you know, tribes in uh, the, the West do this in a brushing off ceremony with cedar. All of that is to cleanse yourself and prepare yourself to, to get the most out of the experience that you're about to have. That is so so powerful. Kind of taking the uh, the wet towel and um, dusting off um, and, and and preparing yourself kind of for a different kind of uh, experience. Uh, and also uh, what you said uh, in the beginning that you know a lot of the uh, pre the preparation uh, is really about setting your intention. So I wonder, uh, Milani, whether you could. Um, uh, whether you could uh, take us through a specific example, kind of where we go through these uh, uh, three stages and where you guide us a little bit uh, uh, through this process of being in relationship with the land, being in relationship with, um, with the elements. I've often thought when, when I've shared and our elders have shared ceremonies that for some people, it, it's not always accessible. They're, they're, you know, certainly being respectful and concerned about appropriation. We use a number of sacred medicines that you may not be able to collect where you are, you know, around the world, but there is something that's accessible and that's, that's the land, right? And, and the experience of doing something on the land. We have a teaching though, uh, uh, you know, that, that comes up when we feast. 
And so we feast at a lot of our ceremonies. But the reason that we feast, we feast our sacred items. And that means preparing our traditional foods and, you know, sitting in circle and eating together and putting uh, ancestor plates into uh, fires at our, our you know, burial ceremonies are out on the land when we're doing uh, an offering to the spirits in the spirit world. We're nourishing them. We're feeding them. But I had a teaching recently from Eleanor Skeed, my sister, that said, you know, the reason that we feast is that we are ingesting the spirit of what we're learning. And so, you know, today I would like to suggest that maybe if you're, you know, take some time to go out on the land and have a tea ceremony or prepare a picnic you know, the tea ceremony in, in particular, uh, tea is accessible and it also brings in many different teachings. So the, the Camellia sinensis plant, which is a gift from the East, uh, from our relatives in the East in China, the, we do something called Gung Fu Cha, that's, that's our practice, but it, what it does is it connects you to the tea leaf itself. Tea is the plant that picked us as the humans. We had tea as well. Uh, we called it tea. It's not really Camellia sinensis, but it's uh, medicinal teas. We had Labrador tea, talking here in, in Turtle Island, North America. You know, we have um, spruce needle tea, I've heard uh, about, uh, and the cedar tea. And we've done cedar tea ceremonies. Take uh, tea, and even if it's a thermos and your favorite mug, Pick somewhere. And so the, the preparation is to put, put together what you're going to bring on the land. You're, you know, I guess I would call it a tea bundle, you know, and, and, and if you have a medicine bundle, uh, take that as well and, and choose somewhere. You know, we have a fasting lodge. It can be a, a blanket. And when you go out and you find where you're going to go, part of the preparation is the intention. It's, you know, what do I hope to get out of this? It's choosing the tea, boiling the water. Take your time to do that because those are the elements. Those are what we call mushkiki. Mushkiki means medicine. And mushkiki literally translated from our language means strength of the earth. Mushk is he or she is strong and aki is land. And so mushkiki means literally the strength of the earth. And so tea brings together the elements of fire and water. You know, fire to boil the water, to put your tea leaves in, steep and brew or, or steep a bowl of tea. And then you ingest that. As humans, you know, we're physical. And so we ingest our food and we ingest our water and that's our nourishment, but you're also ingesting the spiritual connection that you have to the land. And that's why I, I love to have tea outside. And then you're also with mushkiki, you know, tea is medicine. So there are some, you know, like, I guess you could say physiological or biological healing properties, but it's also the contemplation, uh, the Zen I've, you know, Eastern traditions call the Zen really the purpose of it is to drink tea. That, that's the beautiful thing. There's, there's not a, um, you know, what does that mean? No, it really it's drinking tea. But if you, if you elevate it to ceremony and you wipe off the dust of the world and you put your blanket down somewhere on the land and then take your time to sit there for a few hours is what I would suggest. Not like a 15 minute, you know, having tea, but take your time to be with the land and also engage all of your senses. And so, you know, the, the Japanese tradition of forest bathing uh, takes many days. Our ceremonies take many days. So if you can take a significant amount of time to sit somewhere, contemplate, to drink that tea, 
take the time to steep it. I mean, if you can have a fire, of course, that's the best. Uh, having tea, um, charcoals, and, and you know, preparing your tea on the land. But if you can't, uh, a thermos works just as well. But really engage all of your senses. What are you seeing, smelling, uh, tasting? What are you hearing? What are you, you know, feeling on your body? Also choose a location. And so where are you going? Are you going to sit by water? Are you sitting on a mountain? And if you're in an urban center, is there a park that you can go? Is there um, botanical gardens are beautiful. We've had tea in the Royal Botanical Gardens here in Ontario. It's really about elevating that experience. And the other thing that's important is to consider the time of day. You know, there's different types of mushkiki. There's medicine from getting up really early and doing a sunrise ceremony. So we have a, a full uh, two to three hour sunrise ceremony that we do. But for you, if you're not used to getting up early, maybe this is a beautiful way to, to get out of your comfort zone. You know, set that alarm for whatever time the sun is rising where you are. It starts in the east. That's a direction. We acknowledge the four directions. And so are you going north, south, east, or west of where you are? In the morning, you're starting in the east and you're recognizing grandfather's son who uh, comes around every day. And we just expect grandfather's son to come around, right? Because we wouldn't be here without that. And so we say, and that's grandfather's son who shines on us every day. I love the Mari people talk about Mother Earth sings us awake every day and she sings us back to dreaming. I mean, what a gift, you know, how lucky we are to have that support. If you're going out midday, you know, the, the, when the sun is the highest in the south, in the west when the sun starts to set, it's another beautiful time if you're going out at sunset. But also at night, I would encourage people to, to go somewhere they're comfortable at night and look at the stars. Those are our ancestors. Those are our maps. There's many teachings and have tea at night under the stars. That also is a gift. It's a medicine. So all of those different elements, just, you know, making sure that we know that we are going to feel things potentially and experience things on those four levels of spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional. So you talked about, intention setting about um you know the the choice of ingredients uh choice of location choice of time um going to the edge of your comfort zone um what so i think that uh, covers a lot of the uh, pre and the during What about the post? I think the post, you know, there's there's an element that probably, there's a thread that runs all through these three stages. So the prep, preparation, uh, during the experience and the post, and that is gratefulness, gratitude and reciprocity. So being in relationship, if we think about relational systems thinking, when you petition Mother Earth for help, If you say, I really need to connect to, to nature, to the land, to where I am, you might go to the farmer's market, meet some of the farmers and prepare a picnic. You know, you may also take your journal and sit there, but it's really about sitting on the land and 
you know, sometimes we've, we've run programs where we uh, put people out on solos, you know, like six hours. I, I at one point took uh, some engineers and, and took them out on the land and we made maple sugar and they did dialogue walks together and, and it was three hours. And I remember folks commenting, oh, three hours, that's a long time because we're so socialized to think of time as being productive. You know, what am I gonna do for three hours? Like, why am I walking you know, in the forest for three hours? And so the, the healing part of it is, I think, what you're going to reflect on in the post. And so the feelings that come about that are evoked, tapping into those senses, the frequencies we call them, some elders call them intelligences, the spiritual, mental, physical, emotional, that's our medicine wheel teaching. Reflecting on all of that, that self-reflection is part of the, uh, the work of, you know, how your interior condition affects what you're doing externally. And it really begins with self. If you're looking at transformative systems change and you know looking towards the future, it really does require some standing still to be reflective, meditative. So it might be in the post that you're doing a journal. You might also have insights. You know, the sources of knowledge that we are socialized to recognize are, you know, something like a text or uh, reading and English. For us, sources of knowledge are, are multiple and they come from the land. And so you might find yourself visited by a butterfly. You might, you know, in that threshold, that space that you create for yourself, that sacred space. That's why we go through a threshold because you're elevating it to ceremony. It's a sacred space. Uh, I think that's the best word in English to use. And so the reflections that you have may actually be about what you experienced for some people they, they they experience grief they collect recall trauma that they thought they had coped with but suddenly they're alone sitting they're having an emotional experience i think all of that needs to be captured for your own growth but also what i would suggest is there's a time delay you know when we think about systems mapping and we're mapping balancing and and reinforcing feedback loops. And we always put those two squiggly lines there to say that there's a, there's a real time delay. And so, for example, I have experienced things in ceremonies that make sense to me six months later, six years later, you know, 24 years later, I've had dreams and visions. So pay attention to what happens afterwards. Do, do you dream differently? Do you have different visions? Do you, do you now have a daily practice? All of that can be reflected in, in a, a post-experience. So going through a threshold really means uh, entering a sacred space. That's really um, what you said. Uh, uh, that's really what the uh, threshold is about. And um, what also really resonated with you is uh, the... Um, the uh, standing still, right? And um, the, the way you described it, kind of bringing really in the meditative dimension of that. And that's also, as you said, something that applies to all three st stages, right? The pre, the during, and, and the post. So when I, um, when I uh, look at this, um, I, um, uh, I'm also, I, I get the feeling, Milani, that uh, even though you used one specific example, kind of a tea ceremony, um, these principles that you described are really applicable to a much broader um, 
variety of our own experience. I wonder whether you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, the, the concept that you can elevate a daily experience or something that's accessible to you wherever you are in the world, we, we sort of may not think about that. And, and we think about ceremony as something that requires us to, to do something quite profound. And while it is spiritually quite profound and, and ceremonies take time and there's instructions and protocols and teachings, and some ceremonies are not appropriate for everyone there's ceremonies for women there's ceremonies for men for example you know what what the teaching of elevating something to ceremony does for us in a daily practice is encourages us to look at mother earth even if for like i just think of people who have asked me about you know i'm in i'm in rome for example or i'm in you know downtown toronto or seattle where where can i go and especially during COVID, if, you know, depending on where you live, what, what's, what it's like there. The whole idea of connecting to Mother Earth, you know, as I'm talking to you right now, Otto, I'm, you know, sitting in my living room, but I'm looking out at the bird feeder and I'm looking out at the big maple tree and I'm thinking about, I could probably do everything I just talked about in my front yard, on your balcony, it's about being outside and experiencing all of those sensations at a park, down by the beach, you know. Much of it, I think, is mediated. We, we really experience nature mediated through technology, our cars, you know, the bicycles. This is really more uh, an invitation, I think, to go and, and potentially, you know, leave your phone um, to the side don't don't sit on the land for three hours scrolling through you know your instagram feed it's it's actually about making sure that you open yourself up to the experience of connecting to mother earth to gidakimanan we also say anishinaabe in a window in which is a way of relating to spirit to each other and to all of creation and it's an inclusive relationship that honors the interconnectedness of all our relations so when we say in dinawamaganaduk you can still respect and experience that connectedness to all of your relations outside but the less it's mediated through uh, a technology like you know I think driving in your car is a bit different um, but if you can get somewhere where you have some privacy and it's safe that's the invitation and it like I said it could be on your in your front yard and it could be you know on your balcony if you're in a city or at a local park or of course if you're you know living in rural communities you probably have all kinds of wonderful spots where you can go hike and you know connect and and maybe make it special and go somewhere you haven't been go to that botanical gardens that you always wanted to go to uh, for us here we live in the niagara region uh, there's quite a bit of farmers markets and there's something here called the, the the peninsula where we are near hiking trails and you know for me i could go experience a tea ceremony on a hiking trail i've never been to so it's also about you know seeing things and I'll, I'll just say maybe it's like a learning journey and um and one of the things i remember hearing hal um talk about when he talked um hal hamilton who talked about learning journeys he said we think we're going through the world um with you know a headlamp uh, on your forehead and that we're illuminating what we see but really we're projecting 
And I, I love that teaching. So if you're going on this learning journey, remember that you're not only going to project what you see, but you're going to open yourself to just illuminate and be open to all of the things that you're experiencing. That is so beautiful. And that's also really um, uh, shedding some light on, um, you know, uh, on the learning journey or, or sensing journey kind of uh, practice that, um, uh, you know, people will find in, um, in, in different segments. And um, Milani, um, uh, maybe, you know, uh, as, as a closing question for myself, I remember um, uh, when we talked last time, you were also mentioning that it is so a concrete example where this uh, uh, approach uh, is applicable is also uh, how you go to the farmer's market, right? Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to connectedness with all of our relations, our teachings about food in a lot of indigenous communities is that food is, is a medicine, mushkiki, food is medicine, it nourishes us. It also looks after our bodies. We're so disconnected from seasons. You know, if we think about the seasonal nature of food, when you go to a, a grocery store in a lot of places in the world, you're, you're seeing so many things imported from all over the world and preserved. And But if you go to a local farmer's market and you see what's in season, so in spring, here it's asparagus, for example. And I mentioned I live in the Niagara region. So later this summer, the orchards will all be uh, offering the most amazing um, peaches. We have, you know, peach festivals and um, apples and, and this is also wine country so there's grapes and you know you, you can find so many beautiful things and so so a visit to the farmers market to get to know some of them you know what the organic farmers are doing the practices they have the struggles that they've had through COVID and supporting a local farmers market but also it's just it's you know the, the being outside connecting to I went to a farmers market this morning actually it's kind of exciting uh, as we talk, this is uh, the weekend that all of the farmers markets locally here are open. And to think about what we're going to prepare as a meal uh, or maybe as a picnic, that's, I think, so important because, you, again, you we feast. And you could have a feast. And the, the protocols around a feast, I mean, we have a lot of kind of more detailed protocols I won't go into. But, again, it's about gratitude. It's an offering. You know, we put Sema tobacco down, but you could also just put out into the universe mystery, your intentions and your gratefulness for that food, because that food is continuing its reciprocal relationship with you. It agreed when it was put here on Mother Earth to nourish you, and it continues to do that. And what have we done? We have destroyed so much of that natural nourishment, and we need to, to balance that. And so this is I guess that's the word I would say that all of what we talked about today is about balance. It's about restoring balance because restoring balance is uh, what we say, the good life. The good life is about having a balanced life. We can be physically very well that, you know, we've probably some of us have experienced that where we feel fine physically, but emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, we could be out of balance and eventually that'll manifest physically. We'll, we'll start to have stress injuries. So the, the opportunity to go to a farmer's market for me is, is mushkiki. It's very healing. And to know that, you know, I can brush the, the soil off when I, when I bring those vegetables home and, and prepare a meal. It's a, you can transcend, you know, the, and, and move into sort of a, an, an enlightened state 
by visiting a farmer's market. Thank you, Melanie, for, for taking us uh, uh, on a journey of um, uh, practices that help us to re-relate or to radically re-relate to each other, uh, to the spirit, and to all of uh, creation, uh, uh, as you said. And uh, uh, particularly the last examples really remind us that uh, the, the practices and principles that you shared with us are really applicable to almost uh, any kind of encounter that we have uh, in, um, um, in our um, experience. So I wonder, uh, as we are, we are closing this, uh, uh, you know, this vast set of uh, this rich um, menu of um, uh, methods and principles that you shared with us. And as we are about to now go out and, and do it and, and you know, tra transfer that and apply it in our own context, or wherever we are and wherever the context is, I wonder whether we have like a final word of um, of advice kind of as we are now moving from listening to you to actually doing it ourselves. I would suggest that, you know, this can be a solo experience that, you know, it, it could also be something that's open to family uh, to go out onto the land and, and elevate that. I think having some alone time is definitely, you know, beneficial to do that, to do it in a respectful way. And so one of the, the things I will leave us with is that, that those intentions or those petitions You know, sometimes I've, we've done, uh, you know, I mentioned putting people on solos and they've been waiting for like a profound moment where a butterfly flies in and they, they have this really profound emotional experience. That may happen. That, very, that does happen quite a bit. You may connect to grief, um, you know, that you are overwhelmed with emotions and gratefulness. All of that is part of the experience and to, to just make sure that, you know, that you recognize that we're also doing this collectively. I'm thinking about Thomas Hubel and, and his work, that the more that we do this in a collective way, that there will be a lot of intentions. And so our elders do share that when we are in ceremony and we are petitioning or we are sending our energy to people, that it goes into the metaphysical realm, it goes into different realms and it's felt. So when you're there, if you want to say, in English, they might say a prayer. Um, but if you want to send good energy and intentions, both to Mother Earth, to all of the beings around you, or to other human beings that you haven't connected with, for example, uh, because of COVID, uh, you can do that. And that will be quite powerful, that they will feel that and experience that. So, so even if you do this solo, you are certainly not alone. You are really surrounded by a lot of beautiful beings in the metaphysical world and in the physical world. Miigwech, Melanie, thank you for all the gifts uh, that you have been sharing with us and um, for reminding us that in reality, we are not alone. Thank you. Thank you for listening and see you again sometime.